right. Good morning. The scripture today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in inviting God to speak to us? Father, we want ears to hear. We want hearts to receive and minds to understand your word. And so that's what we ask for today. Uh, bless both the speaker and the hearers. May we, may we receive the gospel in Christ's name. Amen. So the message of the gospel calls us to live a life of faith. And when you're living by faith, one of the challenges that you often have to deal with is the challenge of doubt. Very often Christians will struggle with doubts. And that's what I want to talk about today from the passage that we've just heard from Matthew 11. And uh, to do so, I'm going to touch on three points. First, I want to talk about the problem of doubt. Then I want to talk about the nature of doubt. And then finally, I'd like to just talk about some possible ways for us to respond to our doubts. So the problem, the nature, and then the response. So to start, the, the problem of doubt is a very common problem. Many, listen, many solid believers in Christ will find themselves at different periods of life struggling with, with questions and doubts about their faith. It's a com common problem. And I think you can see this in today's passage in the person of, uh, of John the Baptist. John was the prophet who God sent to prepare the people of Israel for the work of the Messiah, the work, work of Jesus. And one thing that we know about John from Scripture is that John was a very bold, very confident person. He lived a, a life of self-denial and devotion, just followed God out into the wilderness to seek the Lord. He preached God's word fearlessly. No, not, no concern about what people might think or say. And John, John recognized Jesus as the Messiah basically before any of his peers did. He was the first one to say, this is the Messiah. So in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, it says this, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he was like the first one to recognize who, who Jesus was. So this, this is John. He's very bold, very confident, very sure of who he is and what he believed. And, and that, 
that image of John is, I think, reinforced by something you read in verse 2. Verse 2 tells us John was in prison. Why was he in prison? Well, uh, you find out later in the book of Matthew that um, when King Herod, the wicked ruler of the land, when King Herod began to do some things in his private life, he began to do some things that, that were wrong. Without any fear at all, John the Baptist just stood up and publicly denounced the king for what he was doing. And that, that's why he ended up in, in prison. So um, this, is, this is John. He's not, he's not indecisive. He's not timid. He is certainly not lacking in his commitment to the Lord. In, in fact, Jesus says this about him at beginning of verse 11. Wow, what a thing to say. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Those, those are some words of commendation, right? So, so John, is this, John is this great, bold man of faith. And yet, what do we see in today's passage? John, bold John, is doubting. Verse 2 and 3, it says, when, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah... He sent his disciples to, to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Was I mistaken? Are you the Messiah? Or, or he said, should we seek someone else? So this bold man of faith is doubting God. Just maybe I was wrong. Maybe he's not the Messiah. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe, you know, it's just he's having his questions. So do you see why I say this is a... This is a common problem. Listen, if even John, bold John, could, could struggle... Um, I would say if you are wrestling with doubts today of, of, of any nature, don't beat yourself up, okay? And don't panic. Or if somebody in your family or a friend is, is doubting, don't panic. This happens. Have you read the Bible throughout, throughout Scripture? How many times can you think of, of, of moments in Scripture when solid men or women of faith have been wrestling, having a really hard time believing the, the, the things they've heard about God? Here's some examples. Genesis 15. Abraham Abraham struggled to believe that God could really bless him because he didn't have any children. At Gen Genesis 18, Sarah laughed in unbelief when she heard the promises of God. Exodus 4, Moses questioned whether God could really use someone like him. He said, send someone else. Psalm 13, King David, the man after God's own heart, he wondered if maybe God had forgotten him. He said, how long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? And then Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is the song for doubters, all right? The, the great psalmist Asaph, in that psalm, he expresses these deep, heart-wrenching questions he's wrestling with over the justice of God. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do, why do the wicked flourish? So throughout Scripture, you'll find people who love God, who've trusted God, who are obeying God, struggling with this problem. It's a very common problem, doubt. Some people would even suggest that doubting is actually a good problem to have, in, you know, to some degree, once in a while at least. So here, here's something that Tim Keller wrote. He said this, a, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or too indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts. So that's this common problem. If you're, in a, if you're struggling with, with doubt today, listen, you're not the only one. 
It's this, this is the problem. A life of faith calls you to deal with that, right? So that's the problem of doubt. Now, se- secondly, let me take a talk about the nature of doubt. What, what, is, what does doubt look like? And I think you'd agree with me that doubt can come in different forms. It's, it's not always the same. So, for example, sometimes, sometimes we have doubts that are very, very personal. They're, they're not just cognitive. They're not philosophical. They're they're, they're, they're deeply personal and caused by our own personal experiences. If, when, when you go through an extended time of suffering or you go through a, a time of deep discouragement or you go through a long season of unanswered prayer, have you ever gone through that? You go through something like that and, and very often you will find yourself wrestling with questions about, about God. Now, you, you, might, you might find yourself questioning the existence of God. The, the, um, Ted Turner, the famous atheist billionaire. Ted Turner grew up, he grew up in, a, in a, a devout Christian home. He professed faith in Christ when he was young. In fact, he, he wanted to be a missionary when he grew up. And then when he was 20 years old, he lost his faith uh, when his younger sister, after an extended illness, they were praying for God to heal her, and she died. And it just hit him so hard. How can there be a God if he, does, if he lets something like this happen? So personal suffering or, or loss, it could, it could uh, lead you to question the existence of God. It might, it might lead you to just question the, the love of God. You might say, I still believe there's a God, but going through what I'm dealing with, I'm not, I, I just, it's hard to believe he loves me. Maybe he loves other people. But So Christians will deal with, does God really love me? It has, it, has he really forgiven me? Maybe you're remembering that one sin you're so ashamed of. Just thinking, you know, I, I, you're, you're questioning his love for you. So the nature of doubt. Sometimes doubts, sometimes doubt is very personal. Sometimes, oh, well, I would say this. This may, have been, this may have been the case with John the Baptist, that his, his doubts arose for that reason. So John, would you agree he had been obedient to God? God called him to preach. He followed God's call. He was faithful. He preached the word. And yet here he was in prison. You know, here he is waiting his execution. He's just, do you think John prayed for God to get I'm sure he prayed. God, get me out of here. Can you imagine John just asking, why doesn't he answer my prayers? And if Jesus is the, the Messiah, the anointed king, why does the anointed king come and rescue me? So it may be that John's doubts were like that. If you've ever had doubts that arise from just personal struggles, um, that may have been what John was going through. So sometimes doubts are personal. Sometimes doubts, um, they're not necessarily personal. They're, they're, more, um, they're more intellectual. They're more cognitive. They're up, they're up here in the way we think. Um, and also, this may have been the case with John. Let me explain. So in, in, in first century Israel, many, many people, in fact, most of the people who were awaiting a Messiah, they, they were expecting the Messiah to be um, sort of a military political liberator, a, a strong leader who would raise up an army, uh, throw off the oppressive rule of the, of the Roman occupiers, and just restore the independence and the national glory of Israel. That's, that's what they were looking for. And it, it's likely that John had that image in mind because do you, I don't know if you remember if you were here last week, the way that John spoke about the Messiah who was coming. John seemed to describe he was envisioning a Messiah who, who would bring the judgment and the justice of God to the evil people of the world. Remember he said in, in Matthew 3, he said this about the Messiah. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and 
burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So like most of his contemporaries, John, John had been raised to expect and may have been anticipating a Messiah who would be a political liberator. But what kind of Messiah was Jesus? He will come back someday to bring the justice of God and, and, and wipe out oppression. But in John's day, Jesus' ministry was so different from any kind of Messiah he ever anticipated. He, he wasn't out there killing Romans. He was healing, healing sick people and feeding the hungry and the poor. In, in, in fact, instead of leading uh, an attack against the enemies of Israel, Jesus was telling people to love their enemies, to pray for those who persecute them. And so... Whenever this happens, and it may have been happening to John, whenever what you've, what you've been taught about God or what you're assuming about God doesn't mesh with what you're seeing or hearing in, in other places, right? Um, you, you can begin to have these intellectual kind of philosophical doubts that you wrestle with. What kind of Messiah is this? I'm not looking for that. So a person might say, you know, in, in Sunday school, in Sunday school they taught me that God created the world. But in science class, they tell me something very different. It doesn't mesh, right? Or in Sunday school, they told me that God is love. And then I look on the news and I see suffering all over the world. It just it doesn't seem, I can't figure out how this fits together. Or, you know, in Sunday school, they taught me that the Bible is God's word. But I, I, I see some things in, the, in, the, in Scripture that they appear to me to be contradictions. It just doesn't fit. So you, you can find yourself when, when what you've been taught, what you assume about God doesn't seem to fit with things you're hearing other places. You can really gra grapple with these intellectual questions. And it may, again, that may have been the nature of John's doubt. You know, John, John perhaps would say, in, in rabbinical school, they taught me that the Messiah would liberate Israel. Then why are these Romans still here? It just doesn't fit. My categories for understanding the world, they, 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 they can't handle this. So um, I wonder if you, have you? I wonder if you've ever um, wrestled with, most, most people will, deep questions about how can this be? I, I don't seem to understand what, what I've been taught, what I read about God. It's a very real struggle. So that's the nature of doubt. Sometimes doubt is very, it's kind of existential, it's very personal. And sometimes it's more philosophical, more intellectual. I think usually it's both. It just kind of they, they overlap, don't they? So that's the problem of doubt. It's very common. The nature of doubt, it, it, it's, uh, it can, it's complex. Now, finally, let me just talk about some responses. How should we respond if we are doubting? Well, to be honest, this passage does not really say, at least not explicitly. John handles his doubts, and maybe, maybe you could come up with better responses than John did. But... Um, but I do think it can be instructive for us to look at what John did with his doubts here because I, I just have this sense that this man handled his doubts in a very healthy way, a way that might, that might be a good example for us. So um, let me point out two things about the way John responded to his doubts, all right? And the first is this. When John began to doubt, he responded with honesty, with honesty. He's, he's sitting in prison. He's wondering if, you know, maybe he made a mistake. Maybe Jesus, it really isn't the, the Messiah. And in, it, listen, instead of just kind of putting on a happy face and slipping into denial and pretending everything's okay, yes, I believe, yes, I believe, instead of, instead of doing that, he was just honest. I'm struggling. I don't know what's going on here. So you'll notice that first he shared, he shared his struggles with people who were close to him, 
right? Well, have you ever done that? Right? Do you have people like that in your life that you could be open? Just say, you know, I'm really having a hard time believing the promises of God today. J John apparently had people like that in his life. So it says that the first thing he did was he talked to his disciples, his students, and he sent them with this question for Jesus. So wonder if, if, if you have some people like that. You could just say, I, I, can you pray for me today? I'm really wrestling. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to shame you. John began just being honest with his disciples. And then, and I think this is the most important thing, John was honest about his doubts with the Lord. He didn't just talk to his disciples about it, right? He sent his disciples to Jesus I want an answer from Jesus. It says in, in verse 2, he sent his disciples to, to him, to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So he took, his, he took his questions, he took his doubts to the Lord. Let me ask you, what would it look like for you to be very honest with God about your doubts? Can you imagine saying to God, God, I'm having a hard time believing there's anyone up there listening to me right now. God, I'm really having a hard time believing that you've forgiven my sins. Is that how you treat people you've forgiven? God, I'm really struggling with this or that question. What would it look like for you to just be very honest with God about your deaths? Now, if you think about that, let me ask you a question. If you were to talk to God that way, do you think he'd be angry with you? You impertinent little runt. Don't ask questions. Would God be mad at you? No. Listen, I don't think he would be. And here, here's a reason why. You find, you find verses like this consistently through the Bible. This is uh, Psalm 62, verse 8. Listen to this. Trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Be honest, open, pour out your heart before him. Why? It says because God is a refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is a safe place. And that, that psalm is just saying, you know what? God is a safe place. God is a safe person. It's safe to be honest with God about what you're dealing with. Uh, so um, here's some examples. If you, read the, if you read the Psalms of David, David just laid it on the line. Uh, they, he was very honest with God. That's why we love his psalms. And he asked some questions that are pretty bold of, of the Lord. So here's an example. When, David, when King David wrote in Psalm 6, How long, O Lord, how long? Was God mad at him for writing that? Or, or, or when he wrote in Psalm 13, Lord, will you forget me forever? Was God mad at him for writing that? Or, or when he wrote in, in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Did God slap him down for asking that? No. And when John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you, are you the one who was to come? Should we expect someone else? Did Jesus get mad at him? No. Guys, isn't it wonderful that we, listen, isn't it wonderful we have a God who is so confident in his own sovereignty and so just overflowing in his love for his people that he is not 
threatened or bothered at all if we come to him and we're just honest like that, right? So it's a wonderful thing. So there's a verse in the book of Jude, Jude 1, verse, verse 22. Jude is written to the, to the church. It's instructions for how we, we are to function as a church. And there's a verse there that first indicates that we should expect there to be doubters in any church. And on any given Sunday, some of us will be going through this, all right? And it tells us how we should treat each other when we're doubting. It says this, be merciful, be kind, be merciful to those who doubt. ACC, can we be that kind of community where it's safe to doubt? Now, here's my, here's my question. If we are to show mercy to those who doubt, don't you think God will? Of course he will. Be very patient and merciful for us. So how, how, how do we respond to our doubts? How did John respond? First, he, he responded with honesty. Secondly, and this is a little harder for me to explain, I think he responded with humility. Real deep, just kind of humility. And let me, let me look at verse 3 and notice. John did not, John did not say in verse 3, are you the one who is to come, or is this whole Messiah thing just a bunch of baloney? Didn't say that. Or are, are you the one who is to come, or is this idea of God just a figment of our imagination? He didn't do that. He said, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? I think that's important. Instead of, when, when things weren't working out the way he anticipated, instead of just immediately rejecting God, rejecting 2,000 years of, of God's covenant promises, there is no God, there is no Messiah, instead of just reacting that way, he, he, listen, John, be, John began his doubting, not by doubting God, he began his doubting by doubting himself. Like, are you the one who is to come, or did I make a mistake? Maybe I got confused. Maybe I misidentified the Messiah. You see, his posture was so humble. Instead of just immediately rejecting God, he begins to question himself. Are you the one, or is there, is there, a, is there something, a problem in me that I don't fully understand? And it, it seems to me that John's uh, humble posture towards doubt is very different. What, what in the world is it with our culture right now? It's so different than the way we tend to handle doubt. Um, it seems to me that in our... In our current culture right now, when we begin to doubt, I guess we have, such, we have just such unshakable confidence in our own brilliance. I understand everything, and if something doesn't make sense to me, it can't possibly exist. Uh, we, we, it, that's the way people... So you'll find people who will... You'll find people who might doubt like this. I don't understand how God can exist if there's suffering in the world. Therefore, God doesn't exist. Because if I don't understand it, it can't be. But don't you, don't you think that a humbler approach would be, uh, I don't understand how there can be a God, and, and, and yet there's suffering in the world, so there, therefore maybe life is just so mysterious that a finite, limited mind like mine can't fully comprehend it. In other words, in, instead of first immediately rejecting God and doubting God, a humble posture would begin by saying, let me, let me doubt, first doubt myself. Or you might hear somebody today say, you know, I, I see things in the Bible that appear to be contradictions to me. Therefore, the Bible is false and I'm out of the church, right? Where a humbler approach might be to say, listen, I see things in the Bible that appear to me to be contradictions. So may, therefore, maybe I have not yet learned how, um, how to read the Bible correctly. Maybe I need someone to explain this to me. 
So the, the thought is, um, when you're humble, before you immediately throw God out the window and, and doubt God, you, you first start by doubting yourself. It's, for example, if I were to say, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity doesn't make any sense to me. Therefore, Einstein was a dummy, right? Now, wouldn't that be ridiculous? It'd be easier for me to say, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity doesn't make sense to me. Therefore, maybe I'm a dummy, right? Maybe I, maybe I need someone to explain it to me. It's, it, it, now, listen, maybe Einstein was wrong. Hmm? Maybe there is no God. Maybe the Bible is false. I'm, but if you immediately jump to those conclusions without first questioning yourself, you see the arrogance that's in your heart? And, and, and so John says, um, are you the Messiah? Or was I wrong? He doesn't reject God's promise of a Messiah out of hand. So if you're doubting, if you want to doubt with humility, um, doubt your doubts. Question your questions. And listen, Before you throw away this great faith, before you doubt your God, doubt yourself. Humility. So um, that's what John did, and that's why I love his example. He, just, he, 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 he handled his doubts with honesty. He didn't hide them, and with humility. And here's the cool thing in this passage. He asked for an answer, and you know what? He finally got one. He, I don't know how long it took for him to send his disciples and then go to Jesus and they get the answer and they come back. He, he, was, he was patient enough to wait for an answer, right? Are you patient enough to wait for God to answer your questions? He waited and he got the answer. Je Jesus says to him, so it says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And then at verse 4, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. And we say, you know what, can't you just say yes or no? Well, you know, that, for John, that was a clear yes. Are you the Messiah? That answer was Jesus saying yes. Why? Because John knew his Old Testament prophets. And Jesus' words here, Jesus is taking the language of two messianic prophecies, Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, where the prophet Isaiah said, listen, when the Messiah comes, here's how you will know him. Blind people are going to start seeing. Deaf people are going to start hearing. Mute people will begin to sing solos in the church choir. Lame people will be running laps around the track. I mean, this is what, and, and poor people are finally going to get to hear some good news. He said, that's what's going to happen when the Messiah is here. And, and Jesus says, well, just go tell John. He'll know what I mean. Just go tell John this. It's all happening. It's all happening. In other words, he, he said, John, the one, you, you weren't mistaken, and God has not forgotten you. The one, listen, the one that you've been longing for, the one your heart is longing for. I'm here. I am he and I am here. So he got his answer. Now I believe, I really believe this. Are you doubting today? I believe that if you will handle your doubts the way John did, you're honest about them and you're humble and you're patient enough to give God some time to answer you, I believe that God will 
answer. Here's why I say that. Not just because, this is not just wishful thinking. I, I, I say that because of something Jesus says at the very end of verse 11. It, this, is, this is crazy. I'm just as like, I had to do a double take when I read this. Jesus says, among all the people ever born of women, there's never been anyone greater than John. John is the greatest one who's ever lived. Okay? And then he says this. But whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What does that mean? Here's, I think it means this. Jesus is saying that um, those of us who, by God's mercy, the time that we were born in history, we are born after the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. We're born after the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. We are born after the outpouring of the Spirit on the church at Pentecost. He's saying those, those of us who are in the kingdom of heaven, this current kind of... Um, this, this current administration of God's grace right now. He says, because, because we know that all these things happened, we have a capacity to experience the grace and the goodness and the power of God that John could only dream of because he lived and died before any of that. So Jesus says, listen, if you, if you are blessed enough to, to live in the kingdom of heaven times, after the work of Christ, oh man, you may feel like the you may feel like the, the 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 weakest Christian in the church. Your faith is just so weak. Jesus said, your experience of, of God could blow just like blow John's experience out of the water. So here's why I say, if that's true, that we live in this we live in this season of this outpouring of God's grace. If John, when he lived being honest and humble about his doubts could get an answer? Oh, I'm so confident you will too. If you're just honest about it. And you're humble. You're patient. You wait for an answer. You'll get one. Let me, let me close with this, uh, this quote from Tim Keller that was in your program. Did you notice you're getting two Tim Keller quotes today? Huh? That's pretty good. You got your money's worth this morning. So um, I, I love how he phrases this. Honest doubts are humble because they lead you to ask questions, not just put up a wall. Honest doubts are open to belief. If you're really asking for answers, you might get some. Let's, let's pray together. God, thank you that you do not shame us when we struggle with doubts. Thank you that you love doubters, and thank you that you respond with answers that bring life. So for any of us who might be struggling with very personal doubts or more, more uh, cognitive doubts today, would you give us grace to, to be honest with you, open, to, to be humble and to wait to wait for your answer. In Jesus' name, amen.